0: Not really. It's actually about Migilat Rut. And it's in memory of Dr. Chuck Feldman, Zichon Bracha. As I've mentioned in the past, we, we're close to the family and happy that uh, we could do this. <coughs> uh, so there's, uh, there's the issue of Migilat Rut. I would put it this way. Like, and say, what is Migilat Rut really about? I mean, you know, you could either tell a story or not tell a story. Uh, What was it that was so important about the story of Begilad Brut that gave it such a special standing in our tradition? First of all, it's a Begilad, which means that it has certain uh, halachic parameters. Uh, It's written with the Kitab Sofer. And today it's very popular, when I was a kid, this was not the case, but today it's very popular to lay in migilat root from a, a cloth. We call it a cloth, we mean a, a scribally written uh, uh, on parchment. let looks like a Torah, a little sefatura. and uh, like migilat Esther. Everybody knows migilat Esther. You read from a migilat, which is usually made out of some kind of cloth, and written by a sofer and it has certain, uh, it's, it's a little more exalted than reading it out of a Chumash which is sort of like, you know, printed and it's hard to get too excited about it. But Begillat Stair, I have kind of a feeling that I know what the connection between Begillat and um, and uh, Purim is. I mean, it's all in there. All of Purim is in Megillah. As, uh, the other Megillah that I read during the year, this is not, not so clear. It's not so clear. Okay, Eicha, the Megillah of Eicha. That, that makes sense. You know, it belongs to Chorban Bayit Rishon uh, specifically. We can make it work for Chorban Bayit also with a little bit of a stretch, but those are the two Megillot that really connect to the time that we read them. A Megillot called Kohelet, we don't want to go into now, but it's hard to imagine why we read uh, Kohelet on Sukkot. Okay, I don't know. And uh, we have Megillot Ruth. Did I miss out one? Shirah Shirim. The, these three Megillot, Kohelet, Shira Shirim, and Ruth, um, are traditionally connected to a chag. But it's not easy for us to know today what the exact connection between those three megillot and the chag that they're connected to is. Like Kohelet with Sukkot, and Shirashirim with Pesach, and Rut with Shavuot. But Rut, Rut, I mean, has another problem to it. And I would say, I would say it this way. We don't really know what Migilat Rut is about. Everybody knows, everybody knows that somehow Lut uh, Chasadim, you know, this idea that you have to be nice to each other, which is maybe not so popular today and doesn't have a lot of supporters, but Gbilut uh sounds like something important, something that, you know, we could push, and somehow Gbilut Sadim is associated with Megillat Rut, although in all honesty I haven't got the, really much of an idea of where the Gemilut Chassadiv is in Megillat Rut, as I will try to show you I mean, So let's look first at the first chapter. Also, I have no... Uh, th- th- this year is different, because I have no sources, other than the Megillah itself. So if you look at the Megillah, I'll try to interpret it quickly, and then try to uh, tell you what the problems are uh, in in the interpretation. Okay, so we know Shoftim. That was a period in Jewish history, right? After uh, the Jews came to Eretz Canaan and conquered it, uh, and divided up the land. Uh, This took uh, until the mitzvot of... uh, Atulot Baaretz would give it, it took 21 years, and then after that time, there was a period of shoftim, which, um, I don't know how how you can describe it. It was a period of charismatic leadership. Uh, You know, what? Max Weber. Max Weber, very good. You see that, broad general education, it always (laughs) helps. (laughs) So charismatic leadership meant and I think, everybody did whatever they did. And from time to time, they needed a national response, like uh, when the Midianites, for example, decided to dismember the community of Jews in Eretz Canaan. So they had to muster up an army. To muster up an army, you need a leader. That leader is the charismatic leader that Max Weber was talking about. So that's be me shoftim, they were shoftim, Dvorah, as you know, was one of them, who determined matters of dispute. I would say, you know, people, you owe me, I owe you, let's go to the Shofate, who will decide? So it was a period of time when there was a nation, but that nation didn't generally work together except in periods of severe stress. And then there was a charismatic leadership. Hopefully, there would be one who was able to save us. That's Yimei Shvota Shoftim. So the Shoftim are between Yoshua binun and Shaul Hamelech, let's say. Shaul Hamelech, right? Shaul Hamelech, was the, uh, who was the king of Israel, although there was something wrong with him with Shaul, there was he wrong with him which prevented him from creating a dynasty because the proper king, which turned out to be David HaMelech, the proper king was uh, able to create a dynasty. A dynasty doesn't mean apparently that all of the future is guaranteed to be good, I mean after all the, the many kings of Yehuda and Yisrael were bad kings but they were kings by virtue of the fact that they were born to a king. They were born to a king. And you know, they're, they're, they're like a couple of... Uh, Shaul HaMelech, the first king of Israel, the Ramban asked that question. What would have happened if King Shaul was a good guy instead of being a bad guy? So, so the Ramban says, well, I guess that there would have been then two kings in Israel. Shaul would be a dynasty and David HaMelech will be a dynasty. And that's eventually what happened, but for a different reason, right? After, after Shlomo HaMelech, who built the Beta Mikdash and taxed the Jews severely for the Mikdash, apparently the Mikdash, the, the kingship, the, the, the trappings of kingship um, that he, that he uh, generated. Um, so after he died, the people were unable to suffer his, his kind of leadership. And so they asked his son, whose name was Rechavam, they asked his son, you know, to ease up. Uh, they can't do it. They can't, uh, and so Rechavam said, well, you, think you, you think you if things are bad, they're going to be worse. Because I also have a few things that I want to spend money on. So at that time there was a split in the nation which had been under the kingship first of Shaul and then David and then Shlomo, and then it came to an end. It came to an end then it was split. There was the Northern Kingdom, which was called the Northern Kingdom, and the Southern Kingdom, which was eventually called Yehuda. right? So the Northern Kingdom, they brought in a, like a, a, a pinch hitter as king of the northern kingdom, it's a kind of a mystery uh, because his name was Yiravam ben Nevat. His name was Yiravam ben Nevat and he was crowned king of the northern kingdom by a real prophet whose name was Achia Shiloni. So you would think, one would imagine, even though you're not supposed to ask these kinds of questions, one would imagine that if the king of the northern kingdom was... Uh, crowned, anointed by a real prophet whose name was Achias Shiloni, that the result should be positive. But in fact, Yeravam Ben Nevat, the Gemara says, probably the worst king of all, or at least numbered along amongst the worst, who tried even to get people to stop going to Yerushalayim, which was really in the southern kingdom, the northern part of Yehuda. Also, Benjamin, you know, Judah and Benjamin were kind of joint owners of the Beit Hamikdash, um, of the area of the Beit Hamikdash. So uh, he, uh, Yeravam ben found it embarrassing that people from the northern kingdom wanted to go to Jerusalem to to express devotion. So he tried to stop them by setting up religious centers in his kingdom, in the north to kind of replace or come instead of Yerushalayim uh, eventually eventually, for because of a combination of reasons one was the fact that of course the northern kingdom was destroyed in 722 BCE by Sancheriv and uh, so that whole idea passed and Yerushalayim was left as the capital of the of the southern kingdom, a lot of talk has been, a lot of people have been talking recently about the fact that Jerusalem is the eternal uh, uh, capital of the Jewish people, whatever that might mean. And the word eternal is always a tough word, but I guess for some people it goes easier than for others. Well, so in any event, why I... You why know, didn't Yerushua point a successor like Moshe did? Point of success there wasn't who were was successors to Yeshua. But it was Yoshua Yoshua had, had several portfolios, you would say today. And he was the the military uh, uh, king and he was the king and he was the prophet and like Moshe Rabbeinu. He wasn't the co So he he had successors. You know, after the kibbush of Eretz Yisrael, you didn't need a permanent military leader. There was no reason to have a successor to the military leadership. I, I mean, I'm just telling you a svara that, you, you know, if, if history had been different, so we would say a different svara. But that, that seems to me that that's not like a, a, like a super kasher, like, you know. It's how it worked out. Yoshua was a Talmud of Moshe Rabbeinu, but they needed a military leader during the time of Yoshua's life. After Yoshua died, they didn't need that kind of military leader. They needed localized, local power, authority. And that came from the Shoftim. That came from Shoftim. So uh, during this time, it says, Vaihira Abbaaretz. Vaihira Abbaaretz. Now you know that Vahira Abbaaretz, Avram Avinu, right? They'll we looking for conceptual reference points. Avram Avinu, Vaihira Abba-aretz. he went to Egypt. Yitzchak wanted to go to Egypt. He wanted to go to Egypt because it, it, his svarah was Yitzchak. I'm talking about was, If my father did it, why shouldn't I do it? I mean, that's apparently the right thing to do. You could say the right thing to do in Eretz Israel if your name is Avram Avinu or your name is Yitzchak, that you should depend that God will take care of it. But Yitzchak said, I mean, I'm, uh, even if I was willing to do that, I mean, it would be insulting not to do what my father did. My father went to Egypt. It turned out very well. It was a terrific, terrific uh, project. So I'll also go to Egypt. That Kodesh Mughal says to Yitzchak, don't go to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt now. It's also interesting that Yaakov Avinu and his family. Right, the pasuk says that Yaakov, Yaakov, Abraham, and Yitzchak, Yaakov. Yaakov was in Mitzrayim for seventeen years before he died. The last seventeen years of his life, he was in Mitzrayim. During that time in Mitzrayim, the Torah says, the Torah says that in Mitzrayim, the Egyptians became disenfranchised. Right? They didn't have any money to buy food. So Yosef said, give me a land, and I'll give you food. Right, That's what happened in Egypt. And then all the land in Egypt became uh, the property of Paro, except for the land of the Kohanim. Except for the land, of, right? Do you remember this story? Mm-hmm. Except for the land of the Kohanim, then uh, uh, everything else became the property of of, uh, of uh, Paro, the people of Egypt were disenfranchised, they didn't own anything, they didn't own the property, they didn't own the animals, they didn't own, uh, everything was given away for the sake of the food that they needed. The only people in Egypt who had land, besides the Kohanim, were the Jews, which may be why, you know, how anti-Semitism got started, but the Jews had, had land in Goshen, Yosef didn't take that away from them but the passage says that Yosef gave them food it doesn't say he took money for the food that he gave them now it could have it might have been that the Jews at that time were a very small group and it didn't really matter to the whoever was counting in Egypt but it's interesting it's interesting that Avram goes to Egypt the famine there's a famine and he comes back rich. Yitzhak wanted to go to Egypt, but he didn't go. He went to the land of the Pelishtim instead. And he also came back rich. Okay, a little bit different. And then Yaakov went to, went, went to Mitzrayim. Yaakov went and lived the 17 years at the end of his life. And he reversed. And it somehow it was reversed. He became rich. Everybody else became poor. Everybody else became poor. So vayihera av ba'aret. All I mean to say is that those words vayihera av ba'aret are not only not only words that tell us about a, a physical reality, like there was a famine, but they, the associations the associations make us wonder, make us wonder like what's really happening, what's this av ba'aret And According to the story of Megillat Ruth, one family went to Moab. One. One family, and we don't hear about anybody else going to Moab or coming back. It's almost as though, and, and who goes to Moab? It says here. Uh, I assume that the writing is insulting to the Ish, right? Instead of naming him immediately, which is what you do. Uh, so you, start, you start a story about a person by naming the person. Here, they don't name him, they call, the, the Megillah calls him Ish. Ish, that's like, you know, not important. He's not important. He's not somebody whose name is memorable, even though his name comes up soon. He says, again, who and Ish is unnamed. The Ish, the second pasuk, Ish So he came from Beit Lechem. Beit Lechem is a city in Yehuda, right? We know where that is. Right? it's south of Yerushalayim. everything south of Yerushalayim is called Yuda at, uh, at, at some time or other I don't know whether the Beah was written down in its final redaction but that doesn't that doesn't matter via moab, moab are traditionally not friendly to to the Jews apparently at this time, it was like in between, it was a time in between the last time the Moabites fought against the Jews and the next time that the Moabites are going to fight against, against the Jews. Uh, it was very easy, apparently, for Jews to live in Moab because the language of the Moabites is very similar to Hebrew. It's very similar to Hebrew, it's not the same as, but it's very similar to... I see Hebrew as, as uh, so you, you uh, uh, listen again we have a we have a stone on which there is a stone. when i say we i mean like grandly speaking we have a stone which is called the moabite stone because we call it the moabite stone because it's about a moabite king whose name was mesha mem yud shin ayin mesha is also the Lithuanian pronunciation of Moshe, <laughs> but there's no connection, right? Beisha, Melech, Mo'ah. So you could read it and probably understand it. Where there is it? What? Where is it? I think in the British Museum, but don't... Uh, I mean, but the pictures, we have a new thing called pictures. You don't have to go anywhere anymore. And it's, it's even better in the picture than it is in real thing. Well, I think I saw it. I think it's at the British Museum. But maybe not. I mean, I don't remember, like, really clearly. But the Moabite stone is written in Moabite. That's the trick here. Now, you can more or less understand it with a little kind of little tweaking here and there. You can understand what it is. Why am I telling you this? Because it was very easy for someone who spoke Hebrew or something of, like that was Canaanite, and somebody who wanted to go, somebody who wanted to, to go to another place, to a place where you might be more successful. And that was Moab. That was Moab because, because you understood each other. You, you could understand the language that they spoke. Right? And Besides which, it could be that already in those days, Aramaic was kind of the lingua franca of the Middle East, which happened sometime or other. Right in those days, it wasn't Babylonian, it wasn't Assyrian, it, wasn't, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, Aramaic. Aramaic became the lingua franca of the Middle East, that means the people who wanted to trade, the people who wanted to, from different countries, wanted to talk to each other, they, they probably talked to each other in Aramaic. So Aramaic, if you know Hebrew, you can get along, listen to somebody talking Aramaic. Not today. But in those days, it would be, it's, it's like listening to somebody talk Oculus, right? You could figure it out after a while. You'll figure it out, it wouldn't be obvious, but after a while, you'd get it. So that's why they went, that may be why they went to stay Moab. So that's the story. Then the story continues, this is the background. A little more. Eli is Eli doesn't have much of a play here in the Megillah. He was alive. He went to Moab, and then he died. <laughs> so she's in a she's in a bad situation. no she's in a bad situation because she has no. She's not connected to anything. She's not. There's no larger group. There's no larger group which uh, everybody looks for. Like if you think about your own lives. You you realize that that's what you do most of your life. You try to look for a group that will a support. What do they call it? Support, support system. System. What? A support system. Yeah. Support system. Right. That's what you want. What everybody wants. So so, I think that this means that the, these two communities were were integratable like you could marry a moabite woman i mean she might not be jewish but who said you have to marry a jewish woman i mean like where'd that idea come from okay. <laughs> so you, you, you know it's like it wasn't something frowned upon at least not in the megillah there's nothing no uh, no rebuke they're not rebuked for for marrying Moabite women. But the court, the said that the male should not come into your. Uh, but uh, but I don't know when that drasha was made. You know, I mean, here let's just read the Megillah. Mm-hmm. What do you mean, the Megillah? I understand there's a drasha. I'm on Nevelo. I'm on I'm But I, I would the like sons early, the sons died early. What the sons died early. Was that a punishment for marrying the What do you mean they died early? Yeah. But well, that's the next possible. we didn't read that yet. <laughs> right. yeah. They died early last year also. He <laughs> 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 <You> says, <said, laughs> So she's really alone. Right. It could be that they died as a punishment. It could be enough, not, but it doesn't say that in the Megillah. I like to try to stick to what it says in the Megillah. It says they died, but the reason, the point of their dying, or the point that the Megillah makes is, It's about Naomi. It's, I, mean, I mean, they died, so there must have been a reason for them dying, but as a result of them dying, here's Naomi alone in a foreign country, no husband, and no children. That's what that's what uh, happened. So she's thinking about what to do with herself. As she come, she heard, she heard that God has kind of released Canaan, the land of Canaan, from the famine, and that maybe it's time to go back. Maybe it's time to go, uh, go back. Zion. Uh, she should start off with her kind of little family. She and her two daughters-in-law. That's all. I mean, so uh, if, you're, if you're not a feminist, you have to agree that this is a weak position. Right, a woman with two daughters-in-law, no husband, no husbands, apparently no families in, in, uh, in Moab that they could turn to. And there's just the idea that there's food to be eaten in Eretz Kina. Lechna, yes, Shovna, Ima, so here is here's Naomi. And it's hard to know what the point that Naomi is making. But let's say she's thinking about going back to her home where she came from. Is she going to be better off schlepping along two women who are not Jewish? to that ancient home and then trying to to get a deal, trying to reestablish herself in some way, or is she better off or is she better off going alone? So I don't know the answer to that question. But it if if you see the the Pasuk, he he says, it's like she's saying, look, this is doubtful and that's doubtful. I don't know if going back to Beit Lechem is going to be good for us or staying in Midian is good for us, but you have connections in Midian, so take advantage of them. Right? Do whatever, whatever you do. So there was some kind of connection that they had, uh, that, the do, that the girls had with, uh, with uh, no, I mean. So They said, no, we, we want to go back with you. We want to go back with you. I guess, I guess the Midianites are also not happy about the fact that these women <laughs> yeah. married Canaanite men. I mean, that's, you know, you may have noticed that in the world, this is like uh, the way it works, uh, you, you have to marry your, your own kind. Somebody said that once. And if you marry another kind, so you're in trouble. So these women, Nami and Orpah, I mean Ruth and Orpah, they were in trouble because they were, the, they were married to foreigners. And being married to a foreigner is not so good, especially if you're a woman. If you're a woman and married to a foreigner, the assumption is that you're going to leave your home and go with the foreigners. Uh, that's how it worked in the ancient world. It may work that way today also to a certain extent. So, Pasuk Yud, We'll come back with No, We'll come back with you. Now, what exactly is she talking about? Naomi says, "How Just one second. Do I have any more potential sons in my innards? I mean, okay, she doesn't. She's 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 not going to have any more babies. What's it got to do with the question? She said, stay home. They said, we want to go with you. So she said, are you going to be able to marry my son? Like, what if she had a son next year who would be born? So you figure 20 years to wait till they grow up. I mean, what is she talking about exactly? Ha'odli badim bimei. I'm sure the daughters-in-law understood that she was of an age where she probably wouldn't have any children. She also didn't have a husband, which is sometimes necessary. So this is a like like. the future, the, the whole story is like like uh, it's like a Shakespearean hint. This is what's gonna happen. This is what's gonna happen in, in, in the story. This is the story. Should I read it again? Yudbet Shovna Benotai, lechna go back, kiza kanti. What does zakanti have to do with anything? Oh, because meiot Ish, I'm not going to be married to a person ki tikva, because I can't say ki I can't say what can't I say? What can't I say? I have that kind of hope. What kind of hope is it? I can't say that. I can't say that I'm going to have relations with a man and produce children. I can't say that. Why can't I say that? Because I'm, I'm old. But, but what does this got to do with what we're talking about? That women want to go with Naomi because they love her. She doesn't want them to go with her because I'm old. I can't have children. I mean, it's like a throwback also to Sarah. He may know, but it'll take us a little far afield to, to get the connections. But what exactly is Naomi saying to these, to these girls? Well, what she is saying is that, they, that if she was young, if she was young, and if she was able, then there would be hope. There would be hope if she could have children. If she could give birth to children, she could marry somebody and have children. They would certainly be hope for this project of going back to Eretz But since she cannot, since she cannot give birth and have children, so there's no hope. So that's the story in this Saint Shakespearean model. This is what's going to happen. This is what this is what Naomi wanted, and that's exactly what is going to happen. What is going to happen? Well, she's going to marry a younger man. And she's going to have children. And I'm going to prove it to you. Who am I talking about? Who are we talking about? about we're talking about Naomi. Right, Naomi, the old lady? That's who we're talking about. Yet she said, Naomi said, I I'm old, I can't marry, I can't have children. Right? And what is the story of Begilat Rut? That Naomi does get married, does have children, does get everything straightened out. Naomi, Naomi. Not anybody else. So now look. What story is this? A story that we're going to see in a minute. Gets married, gets I didn't say she gets married. No. I said married. Yeah, I said she's going to have a husband and she's going to have uh, <laughs> children. And uh, just like she said, Just like I said, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do that, and that's exactly what's going to happen. That's exactly what's going to happen. Let's go on. Again, where am I? Yod Gimel. So Naomi says, I just don't see how you girls are part of this project. What I have to do is figure out a way to have children. I have to figure out a way to marry somebody. Well, what's this got to do with you? Who's interested in you? Who's interested in Moabite women? There must be a couple of Jewish women in Canaan. Halahain, I'm sorry, again, Pasuk dali. So you see, you see that vatishak. Vatishak. I always say this. Vatishak in Hebrew means goodbye. In romantic novels, it means hello. But in the Tanakh, it means goodbye. How do you say hello? How do you say like a real fervent kind of hello? dvekut, that's fervent hello, And that's what happened, right? That's what happened. Arpa uh, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, v'rut, davka ba. And Ruth, Ruth was cleaving to her, cleaving to her, so davka, that's, yeah, that's closeness. And shikah is goodbye. V'tomen, pasuk so here we have the introduction of a word which is meaningful in the context of Megillat uh, Rut. And even though it's a kind of a mystery, the word Yevimtech, it's a kind of a mystery because it doesn't fit into our halachic preconceptions, but apparently the word Yevamah can also mean two, two women, could be somehow related to each other. The word yivama in the Chumash is made according to the way we understand it is a man uh, marries and has no children and his wife dies no he, yeah, dies. he dies he dies and his wife has no children so she could marry the brother or she should marry, or could marry, or would marry uh, we, we sort of did away with that obligation but that's called a yavama. and the point of the, this project is lakim shame, lakim shame to establish a name, an ongoing tradition, a name of of the brother who died. There's some kind of this is very important, and it, it happens. So here, here the word yivama is used in a different way. That's the that's the words that I'm interested in. In other words. It was, it was, it could go either way, while right? Orpah, she would have stayed with Nami, would have been on our side, but she went back home, so she was side of the, of the gods of, of Midian. The gods of Midian were not particularly nice people. So, <laughs> So, uh, So, Nami says, go, and she hints at this Yevamah. By calling, by calling the other daughter-in-law you have another hint for what's going to happen in the Megillah, in the continuation of the story. Can't, whoever wrote this down couldn't help themselves. Again, pasuk Ted Zayed, Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. But Yivamach here means your fellow daughter-in-law? I don't know what it means. Uh, I know that's what it means Jewish, in the Chumash, but it's yeah. used in a different way here. Yeah. The two daughters-in-law are called Yivamot to each other, okay. which doesn't mean uh, much to the halachic understanding of things, but it's the use of a word that's going to come in, become very important in the continuation of the story. Okay? but okay. Ted okay. So you go back also. In other words, he says to says the root. Look, you could also be a Midianite woman. Moab. God, uh, what Moabite, Moabite of, of Moabite. Sorry, a Moabite woman. You could also be. Uh, you know, serve the god of of uh, the uh, of Moab. You could serve the god of Moab. Pasuk Zion. Okay, so I mean, I mean, you have to decide, is this, that she say, I want to be with you, I have no place else to go, and I understand that the implication is wherever you'll be I'll be is that the implication or is she saying I am like that I really want to be like that you, you understand the, the two possibilities so what does that mean does it mean Ruth understood that they're going to Eretz Yisrael and they were going to and were Nachala and this was, so you had this tremendous spiritual opportunity, no, it was just me, I don't really have any place else to go. And I would like to stay with you. It's not clear, not clear. And then, And then, Ko yasah shen li when you see get over the but but she quotes god's name ko yasah shen li right it could be interpreted to mean that she was speaking the language the religious language of her mother-in-law pasuk yitret va terki mitametz et hela lechet ledaber ledaber eleha so nomi gave in. Naomi gave in. I didn't, why did she give in? I mean, what was... What was it, the prophet? What was the advantage that Nami had of giving in? Why did she give in? Again, see the Pasuk. You see the Pasuk. Uh, the Pasuk. Uh, Pasuk. Pasuk Yudchet. She's really struggling to be included... In the trip that Nomi is about to make, right? la lechet ita So, so she, what? She decided that you can't influence her. Okay, she you know she has this she wants to come, so she can come. Vateilachna ad boana It's not so far from the land of Midyan. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a trip, but it's not terrible. They left us. They went at Oana Beit Lechem they came back to Beit Lechem. Why he gave Oana Beit Lechem, but they call her ear Alehem, but Omana Hazotna Ami. So you see, they came back to Beit and lo behold, who came back to Beit Lechem? Wow! Two people, who? Know one. Only one. Only one person came back to them. it. was like Sancho Pan. Pardon? yeah, you know. Panchas, <laughs> I didn't mean to start this, uh, start this over. but in other words, she doesn't exist. She, her name is Ruth. Ruth does not exist when they come back to Beit Lechem. Why the whole city came out to be to express their joy at the fact that that the Nomi has returned is not so clear from the. From the uh, pasuk, "Vatoshav na'amim ru'ta mo'avim yakal atayimah," at Shavu'ah mi'steim mo'av. This is a comment of whoever wrote the Megillah. Ve'im ba'ubayd lechem b'tchilat ktsira And This could be the only connection to uh, to Shavu'ot. Shavu'ot takes place at the time of the ktsira ha'saurim, but uh, there's nothing about. So, in any event, my first contention is. My first contention is that Naomi. I mean, if you go through chapters Bet and Gibel and Dalit, which we're not going to do right in the Baiteng, Bait and Gibel, I'm sorry, we're going to get to. We have to do Peric Dalit. My first contention is that the story is about Naomi. The story is about Naomi, even though chapters two and chapter three tell the very exciting story of Naomi, of Ruth's relationship with Boaz and Boaz uh, gets the Gets the call. The the Poloni Almoni is going to be able to take up the the reins of Gula, of redeeming um, the family fortune through marriage to Ruth. And he says, "No, I can't do that. I don't want to do that." And along comes. Boaz on a white steed, and Boaz Boaz marries her, and everybody's living happily ever after, and it's wonderful. But look at the last chapter. Look at the last chapter, that's the story. The story. Oh. Boaz Allah Shah. Boaz went up to the gate of the city. The gate was where important they like the the canyon uh, was at the gate. Right, you know, whatever you wanted to buy, that's where you went. So he says, Plody <laughs> almoni became the the kind of like John Smith, you say it in English, right? John Smith means anybody. It's not any, a particular person. So Clodion Almony is also somebody. Like not not only is he unimportant in the story, but his name is unimportant, which is which is pretty remarkable, because you could have just said the goel uh, without naming him. They said no, no. His name is Clodion Almony. He really is fading into oblivion. But Zibet they took 10 people That's you needed a minion to do this so we're talking about property land and who sold it and who's going to get it not on me not on me right so he t- says to Polony Ammoni, he says that you or me, if you do it, you do it. If I do it, if you don't do it, then I'll do it. So the Polony Ammoni says, I'll do it. Oh, a low point in the story. This will mess up the whole story if he would, if he would do it so the pass cases were yob boys we you them ya know may we you the movie ay she tamet kan kanita lakim shem metar nahlatu wa yom go elo khali go li pen ashitet nahlatiga alecha ata, uh, ata ata et at, so Plony Amoni says to Boaz, I can't do this, I'm tied up in the bank, you know, I have mortgages, like that. I, can't, I can't do it, you do it. So great, the story is saved at the last moment. Here comes Boaz, writing to the... Uh, uh, and then the apostle explains what he's about to do. Pasuk Chet Boaz that's that's how they did it. They took off their shoe. I mean, we could make um, comments on all of these things, but I want to get to, to the important part here. I bought everything that they ever owned. I've got it all. I bought everything that they ever owned. Uh, so the deal is done. The deal is done, and the deal has to do with Karka. It has to do with the marriage of Ruth to Boaz. So it's great. Everything is just great. Now look at this pasuk. So they say, they they come like the whole world is there, collected, to say this is the greatest thing that has ever happened, Nomi will get what she deserves, and Ruth is going to marry this handsome, uh, farming type. So... I'm Not sure that this is a compliment or not, but in any event, boaz <laughs> Boaz married Ruth and he had he he had a, a, a sexual intercourse with her. and God gave her pregnancy. And she had a son. Like, this is the happiest story in the Tanakh. Everything works out. Everything works out for everybody. Everybody's happy. But look at what it says right here. Right here. Who is the mother? Huh? Who is the mother? Rutu is the mother. That's what you say. Thank God that you didn't have trouble finding a Goel, a redeemer for all of your property and everything you needed by Ecrashmo Yisrael, and he gets a name, Bi Yisrael, meaning her son. lemeshiv Nefesh. Uh-halkeil et sevateh you're gonna have you're gonna have a, a pension. Right? By Yalachul Mashid Nefes, you're gonna feel good. Right? You're gonna really, really feel good. With a Khalkel at Seyva and you have a pension. Ki Kala Tech, Asha Aheva Tech Yela De because your daughter-in-law had a son. Asher and this daughter in law is even better than seven sons. I guess that's uh, that's good. Okay? <laughs> Who took the yelet? Now it's not so so uncommon, right? The grandmother takes care of the of the baby. Not totally uncommon. That's like in Russia, well, I was in Russia, that's that's what a uh, that's a family. There's a husband, a wife, a grandmother, a baby, and a dog. That was, that was a family. Now, it was hardest on the dog because there wasn't that much room. Sometimes it's the sister who does it, like Miriam, and habit, of course. And sometimes... It is the grandmother. Something of the... the uh, Something is the grandmother. Not Pasuk, Yud Zayin. It's the end of the story. The last Pasuk of the story. V'atikren Eloha Shcheinot shame, And all of the women who were with around. You know women, they hover around. And they... V'atikren Eloha Shcheinot shame Leimor. Yulad ben Le oh, oh, That's what they said. They said Naomi had a son. Like, wasn't that the point? Wasn't the point of the story when Naomi said, "If I could only marry, if I could only have a child, then I could straighten everything out." Because I would be able to go through this gulatha gulat hakarkaot and property. So Rashi so sorry, so Raj doesn't say anything. But I think uh but the, the posuk says, Vatikach no me take shabi khavati lalomanet, pasu the great shot shame lay more. Shame lay more. You lad ben linam me, butikrena shimo oved So Oved, according to these women who were standing, who understood what really happened, understood that Ruth was the agent. She was the what what do you call that today? Uh, Surrogate. A surrogate. She. Thank you. She was a surrogate. Who was having the baby? Ruth Ruth was the surrogate. Ruth was the surrogate. Who was having the baby? Nomi was having the baby. Now whether that that's in, in other words, you see, if you read now, if you go back and you read the Megillah, and you read the Megillah, you'll see that the Megillah is entirely about Naomi. It's about Naomi having a child. It's about Naomi being able to take advantage of the Goel. Even though we don't understand exactly how the Goel worked in this particular case, but we understand that after the Goel Boaz did whatever he did, the property that belonged we'll to Elimelech. Right, the dead husband somehow reverted to the family of Naomi, which now consisted of Ruth and Boaz and Oved. Oved was the son that was born to Ruth, the surrogate who was was actually fulfilling somehow the need that Naomi had to reestablish herself as a as a uh, as as part of a family, as part of a family in. Uh, in Beit Lechem, Yehuda. So, it may be that the Megillah is called on the name of Ruth, but it may be that that's a misnomer. And that the Megillah is really about Naomi. And if you, uh, you go back over the part that we skipped, you know where Naomi sends Ruth into the field to lie with Boaz and to kind of entice him into uh into something or other so you see that that she gives the orders she knows what could happen she knows. she knows what could happen Ruth doesn't know exactly she she's a Moabite she doesn't know what the laws of Beit Lechem Yehuda necessitate what she has to do so Ruth serves a person a purpose. She's the younger version of Naomi, which enables Naomi to marry and to have a child. But having done that, the child is changes Naomi's status. It makes her a, a, a family, the leader of a family. It changes his, her state from what what it was in uh, in. Uh, Moab when her husband died, her sons died, and she had no reason to keep her daughters-in-law uh, with her. So again, the the point of the Megillah, maybe, to show that you know, if you if you're dedicated and you know what you want, sometimes you could actually get it. Okay, have a happy, uh, good Shabbos, and Chag Shabbat